Again, uh, thanks to the praise team for not only the courses, but for the hymns and how vitally important it is for us to be reminded of our faith through music. Not only in choruses today, but we dare not forget the beauty of hundreds of years of hymnology, and I appreciate the selection of the music um, each and every Lord's Day. Um, so it's good to be back with you. Uh, we missed you. We trust that you missed us, but we thank the Lord for the opportunity again to, to bring the Word of God to you. So, for those of, of you that are listening and watching via the internet, we do welcome you. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1, the last portion of it, and we'll go to verse 3 of chapter 2. A few weeks ago now, we started <clears throat> looking at chapter 2, but the passage actually begins, or the, or the flow of the passage actually, actually it begins back in verse 3. But um, we will pick up with verse 22 this morning and read through verse 3 again. Peter writes under inspiration of the Spirit of God, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away. But the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So we have looked at hope in the gospel. In fact, the entire epistle, 1 Peter, focuses on hope in the gospel. And now we have for some time been looking at holiness in the gospel, and we are commanded to be holy as the Lord is holy. In verse 16, Peter quotes that. And this holiness occurs because of our um, admonition to follow the truth of God's Word. And that's what Peter is here speaking to the diaspora, those that were uh, persecuted during uh, the uh, latter part of the first century in Rome, and to us today. And so we ask God's blessings upon the reading. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, forgive us wherein we are ignorant of you. Teach us from your words so that we would not be ignorant and make us like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. So Queen Elizabeth II passed away while we were gone. In fact, we had a, an alert on our phones where she had passed at 96 years of age. You know, I read an article yesterday in, in uh, uh, the, uh, September the 18th in the weekend version of the Wall Street Journal written by Peggy Noonan, who was uh, a speechwriter for President Reagan. It was a great article, by the way. She 
wrote about uh, over a thousand year history of royal English funerals and the reason that you have so many different people that are involved. So I like history, and you should too. But reading this reminded me that of the different types of military that were there, all of the regalia that goes. No one does pomp and circumstance like the Brits. We just copy the Brits. No one does it like the English. It was a great read. I enjoyed reading it. Now, on the other side of that coin, Dr. Al Mohler wrote last week about the actual service, the funeral preaching itself. And he said this, in Westminster Abbey, where the funeral took place, the service was actually filled with Christian scripture, readings from the Word of God and the Declaration of Christian Truth. In the opening prayer, the Dean of Westminster gave all the persons in the, uh, in the cathedral, and by the way, the word cathedral comes from the Latin cathedra, which means throne, and cathedrals were known as the place where the throne of God on earth would dwell. So a little bit of education there. He commended Queen Elizabeth to the care and keeping of Almighty God. The very next words he read were these. O merciful God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life, and whom whosoever believeth shall live, though he die, and whosoever liveth and believeth in him shall not die eternally who has taught us by the holy apostle St. Paul not to be sorry as men without hope for them that sleep in him. He continued, We meekly beseech thee, O Father, beseech thee, O Father, to raise us from the dead of sin under the life of righteousness, that when we shall depart this life, we may rest in him as our hope in this your departure sister does, that at the general resurrection in the last day, we may be found acceptable in thy sight and receive that blessing, which thou well-beloved Son shall then pronounce to all that love and fear thee, saying, Come ye blessed, inherit the kingdom of my Father. Receive the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the world. Grant this, we beseech you, O merciful Father, through Jesus Christ, our Mediator and Redeemer. Amen. It reminds us of the fact, he continues, that although Britain itself is now a very secular and very confused nation, and I would add so is America, it doesn't understand spiritual things. In the state funeral that was held, they were reminded of the solidity and the eternal truth of God's Word. As those words were heard by multiple millions, in fact, it is estimated that almost four billion people watched the ceremony.
that they heard the undiluted word of God as it came through scriptural readings. The Archbishop of Canterbury offered the prayer known as the commendation. And as the entire congregation, King Charles III, the Queen Consort, further Prince Philip, or Prince, Prince William now, that is Prince of Wales, the future king, and all that were in Westminster stood. And he prayed. We now commend the soul of the departed queen unto God, her eternal judge, and unto Christ, her eternal redeemer. The last words of that commendation include such important Christian biblical truths. He prayed, go forth, O Christian soul, from who suffered for thee in the name of the Holy Spirit, who was poured out upon thee and anointed thee, in communion with all the blessed saints and aided by the angels and the archangels and all the armies of the heavenly hosts. May they portion this day be in peace and thy dwelling in the heavenly Jerusalem. Amen. It gives a heavy, heavy warning to over half of the people on earth that tuned in and heard these words. It does so to us this morning. It reminds us of God's promise in Isaiah made 1,700, well, actually 20, 2,300 years ago to Isaiah. So shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it to do. Fifty years ago, that could not have taken place. Our sovereign, beloved, merciful, gracious God still controls this tiny orb we call Earth. And he expands and calls all sinners everywhere to repent and believe through the word of God. First slide, if you would. So if you look back at verses 22 and 23, Peter says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. What's the truth? What's the word? We've been expanding on that for a number of weeks. You obey the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. And then he quotes from Isaiah 40. So there are two metaphors that Peter uses, one here in the last part of chapter 1 and then at the beginning of chapter 2. Here he talks about the seed of the word. He talks about the sperm, if you please, that the Holy Spirit applies to regenerate new life in believers. It's not something we do. The Spirit must do that. And the agency the Spirit uses is the Word. We'll see that as we journey through Scripture this morning. 
Further, in verse 25, he says, Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. The word, word, W-O-R-D. In those preceding verses, in verse 23, is the word logos. It's the written word. The word preached in verse 25 is the word rima, which means... The word spoken, the living word spoken, the living word proclaimed. In verse 2, he uses the second metaphor. And there we read, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow because of it. You may grow thereby. And so with these two metaphors, he puts in parenthesis how we are born again. We're born again by the seed of the word. And we continue to be born again through the preaching and the desiring of the milk of God. It is fundamental to our spiritual growth. It brings about our sanctification, and he concludes this particular passage in verse 3 by saying, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Now, between these two, because this is vitally important, a few weeks ago we started and we looked at verse 1, there is the word therefore, verse 1 of chapter 2. And so Peter says this, okay, You've been born again by the seed, by the sperm of the word. Verse 2, you need to desire the milk of the word because, verse 1, there's a problem. And the problem is we're to lay aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking or all slander. So sandwiched between these two is a reminder of five sins that that are rooted in pride. We broached this subject a few weeks ago. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on it. But again, malice is desiring the evil of another. That something evil befalls another because we just don't like that person So many, a variety of things it could be. Then he talks about um, deceit. And we reminded you that that word means guile. In fact, I think it may be translated that way in the ESV. It is the, the hoodwinking, if you please, of an individual. We could use the word flattery there to gain some type of advantage for you and I. We would refer to that today as ulterior motives. Peter says this shouldn't be. And Peter's writing under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. Then he talks about hypocrisy, feigned faces. By the way, this this word hypocrisy was introduced by Jesus in, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. It was heretofore not known. It was used only in the Greek world to talk about the plays that certain playwrights would would uh, write. 
Jesus took that word and used it in the Sermon on the Mount. Being hypocritical, saying one thing, meaning another. And then he talks about envy, the desire for something that someone else, something or someone that may have so that we lose our minds because, in many cases, of the Lord's blessing to another person. And then he says, all evil speaking, all slander. So Peter here is reminding us that all these sins harm others. No sin, no sin will go unpunished. And he reminds us that these sins in particular, there are others obviously, you could go to Galatians 5 and look at those, but these sins in particular do not reflect the familial or the divine love that he mentions in verse 22. So we may say a great deal about professing Jesus Christ, but if these sins are evident and prevalent in our life, there's a problem. And the problem is, we're not desiring the sincere milk of the word. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> Augustine said, I think I closed the message out a few weeks ago with this quote. Augustine said <clears throat> that, well, I can read it to you. That's all right. Get these folks to follow along. Follow along in your reading, okay, in your hearing. Malice delights in another's hurt. Envy pines at another's good. Guile imparts duplicity to the heart. Hypocrisy, or flattery that is used here, imparts duplicity to the tongue. And evil speakings wound the character of, nothing, of another. All of these things, by the way, were in play when Jesus was unjustly tried and crucified. And Peter was there. These things were evident in Peter's life, and so he understood them. He understood their diabolical control that can be had because we just lose, lose our tempers or whatever. And so Peter says, listen, all these sins target harm to others. They're not familial. They don't display divine love. And then we're reminded from the Psalms, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. And that follows with verse 3, what he says here in chapter 2. Now, the great Puritan Thomas Watson said this, Christ will not taste sweet to us until sin tastes bitter. We live in a day and age where sin is rarely, if ever, mentioned. In fact, the last time the word sin was mentioned from the White House was by Eisenhower in the 1950s. Sixty to seventy years. No sin. Oh, we, we make mistakes and we make errors, but we don't sin. Christ will not taste sweet to us 
until sin tastes bitter. Now, to be sure, Peter is writing, and he's one of us, by the way. He's a saved sinner, and he's writing. Believers sometimes struggle with, the, with general evil, and that kind of summarizes those five things there in verse 1. And the Word of God all calls us to repent. Now, this is something that we need to, to grasp this morning. We are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we are also repenters. We didn't just repent one time to be born again. If you did, then you got a lot of repenting to do. Forgiveness takes place when we repent. When we ask for forgiveness. And this, we talk a lot about God's sovereignty and should, and we talk a lot about man's responsibility. Forgiveness takes place when we take the responsibility to repent. It is our responsibility. So let's be men and let's be women. And when we know that we've committed such things, we see in verse 1 or the variety, the encyclopedia of sins that Paul uses in Galatians chapter 5, let's humbly ask for forgiveness and repent of these things. We are believers, but believers are still repentant. Now, Peter says this, the seed of the word of God preached, verses 22 through 25, the seed of the word of God preached will bring about the putting aside of these sins, therefore laying aside. The other phrase that's used, and we talked about this two or three weeks ago, is the taking off of dirty garments. Take them off. Don't continue to wallow in them. Next slide, if you would, brother. Now here's, I read this in one of the commentaries this week, so I thought it was very appropriate, appropriate for me. Putting aside these sins emphasized the truth that those who live like hell cannot expect to arrive in heaven. Now make it known that is purely the grace of God in Jesus Christ and faith alone in him that saves. But saved people change. I've mentioned that thousands of times from this pulpit. Saved people change. And those that live like hell cannot expect, nor will they, arrive in heaven. When the effect of the word of God purges our souls, the effect, not the affect, the effect of the word of God, something that is effective in our life, it results in a desire, Peter says that in verse 2, a craving for more of the pure word of God. So Peter demonstrates that laying aside these insidious sins, and 
And please understand, every sin is insidious. That means it undermines every sin. My life, your life, is insidious. It undermines the foundation. And if we lay aside these insidious sins, it produces a craving for the Word of God because our attitudes and our behaviors are sustained by our new life in faith, of G- in the faith of, uh, that we've declared in Jesus Christ. These things have to change. Our attitudes have to change. Our behavior is changed. And that is brought about by craving the Word of God. Now, literally, if you take verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 and you put them together, literally, Peter says this, Therefore, since you have new life by God's working, from the word that's been preached to you. Put aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word. Now, it's interesting that we've been talking and preaching about holiness because holiness also means purity. So, if you look at your Bibles this morning, or look at your pew Bibles, most of you will have on the Either on the spine or on the cover, you'll have the word that precedes the word Bible. And what word is that? Holy. It could also be pure. The pure milk of the word. So Peter says, now that you have been born again by the word of God, by the seed, long for the word. Do you see the connection between verse 23 of chapter 1, this passage, 23 through 25, and what Peter is saying here in verse 2? We are born again. We're changed by the Word. Except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, Jesus said, and the water is a metaphor for the Word of God, John chapter 3. Therefore, long for the milk of the Word. Next slide. If you begin your life with the Word, I'm born again. Well, how were you born again? You were born again by hearing the Word of God, confessed your sins, and in faith asked Jesus to save your soul. Jesus saves, not the Word. The Word is the agency that God uses to bring us to Jesus, and Jesus saves. Without the Word, we wouldn't be brought to Jesus. If you begin your life with the Word, then Peter is saying, sustain your life with the Word. So this longing for the pure milk of the Word, to desire or to crave, in the Septuagint version, which we've talked about, in fact, Peter quotes using the Septuagint Old Testament, which is just the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In Psalm 42, the reference is made. In fact, we find this out. uh, He uses something similar in verse 3. He says, as the deer pants after the water brooks, as it longs, as it craves for water, so pants my soul after you, O God. That's a desire for the pure milk of the word. Psalm 119, if you remember a few years ago before we ventured into the book of Proverbs on Sunday morning for the Old Testament 
reading, we read through Psalm 119, all 176 verses. It's the longest chapter in the Bible. It is one of the more beautiful chapters, and I would encourage you, if you've never read it, you need to read it. In 176 verses, David talks about 176 applications of the Word of God. And David didn't have the New Testament. David didn't have the major prophets, didn't have the minor prophets, only had a, a very small portion of the Old Testament. And yet he, moved by the Spirit of God, wrote this amazing psalm that reminds us, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. The law is a delight. Stephanie's teaching the ladies on the Ten Words, the Ten Commandments. The law is a delight, and indeed it is. Now, the law convicts us of sin, and it should, but because of God's grace, He gave us the law to bring us to faith. And so, when we see that phrase there in verse 2, when He talks about to long for or to crave, that uh, it's, it's found nine times in the New Testament. Paul uses the word seven times, and I'm not going to go and look at those this morning, but he does use it seven times. Peter uses it one time. It's found here. And James also uses it one time. Now, when we look at verse 2, we see that Peter's use is a demand for a craving. Um, so... We talked to Stephanie this week. She had talked to, to Rachel. No, Rachel's not here this morning. Is, is your child, one of your child, children sick? Yeah. yeah the youngest. Mm. Okay. He's craving mama this morning, okay? Yeah. So Rachel told Stephanie to tell us to buy Lake Champlain chocolate, which we did. By the way, Rachel owes us hundreds of dollars for buying Lake Champlain chocolate. I think it's the most expensive chocolate on earth, but it is good for all you chocolate lovers. Lake Champlain. Now you can only eat a little bit of it at a time because remember you're eating hundreds of dollars as you eat it. But people long for chocolate and other things. We had some great meals when we were traveling. One of the things that we looked forward to when we do travel. And you can look at me and tell that. Okay? We crave certain things. Peter says, this is a demand for craving which is pure in the midst of a world of impurities. Hmm. A midst of a world full of corrupting and contaminated things which the evil heart lusts for and produces. That's why verse 1 is here. He defines here a craving that is unadulterated and uncontaminated. The pure milk of the word. Next slide if you would. Brother, pure, the word purity that's used there, the word pure, holiness, so forth, 
is a food that is edible. Now, remember, 2,000 years ago, Peter didn't hop in his vehicle or, or take public transportation to go to the grocery store. You and I are very blessed that we can do that. But Peter didn't. The Romans didn't. Here it means food that's edible. Oil that is purified so that it's usable. Olive oil was a medicine in Peter's day. And they would allow the olive oil actually to grow a mold on the top of it if you left it alone long enough. And that mold could be scooped off and they used it as medicine. Put it on wounds and it worked. Penicillin is a mold. As far as I know, all the COVID vaccines are mold. Don't know. But oil, purified, won't have that mold. That was what was used for cooking. Wine was purified, so it's drinkable. And on top of that, wine often was added to water to make it more pure. Well, found here and only in the New Testament. Peter talks about uncontaminated, pure milk. And obviously he's referring to here, he's using this metaphor, the mother's breast milk that is taken by the infant directly into their mouth. In fact, the phrase as newborn babes means born just now. We have some small children in our midst. We don't have any babes born just now. And over the next few months, we are going to have some babes born just now. Some infants. And what are they going to crave? Mother's milk. We've just come through a, a shortage of formula in our country. Why, I don't understand, but in any event, we did. The purest thing that an infant can consume is its mother's milk. Rabbis in the Old Testament would often refer to the Word of God as pure spiritual milk. And Alistair Begg in one of his sermons about this particular passage says, the milk of the Word of God needs to be free from additives. Now, Peter doesn't assume that his audience's recent converts. We're going to look at that in some detail here. They are, in other words, not all of them are merely babes in Christ. Some of them are, but not all of them. In fact, the Bible speaks about individuals that say they've been saved or say they've been born again, but show no, absolutely no fruit whatsoever. And it speaks of new converts as babes in terms of their spiritual progress. And there are scathing rebukes. We're going to look at a couple of them this morning found in the scripture because there are people that said that they were born again and yet show no indication of being born again. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul is writing here to the church at Corinth. We spent quite a bit of time preaching through 1 Corinthians a number of years ago. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you spiritual babes, uh, spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Peter is not referring to that. Paul is. 
I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, even uh, now you are still not able, for you are still carnal, for where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you. Very similar to what Peter writes in verse 1 of chapter 2, is it not? You envy uh, uh, one another, there's strife between you, there are divisions, are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? So that is a scathing rebuke of much of the church at Corinth. And it was needed. It's needful. Hebrews chapter 5. Turn with me there. And many of our ladies, and I know our college career, they've been through the book of Hebrews, and maybe one day we'll go through that. But look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You ought to be teachers. You've been saved long enough to know something about the Word of God so that you can teach the Word of God. Is what the author is saying. You need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Sounds very similar to 1 Corinthians 3. I don't think Paul wrote Hebrews, but it's very similar. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. We have lost that in our country, and we have lost it among those that profess to be Christians. We question everything. It's homosexual. Well, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. They love one another. We have lost the ability to discern between right. Why is that? Because we haven't desired the pure, unadulterated word of God. Like it or not, digest it or not, we've lost it. So Peter's not talking about what Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and what the writer of Hebrews wrote to, again, a a dispersed people in the first century. He is writing about a craving for the word. Next slide, brother. Now, infants have a strong desire for milk. And so he's using this metaphor to explain that the Christian, one that says, I'm born of God, should have a similar thirst for the Word of God. Now, we love babies, don't we? Oh, they're wonderful. They are. And when babies get hungry, they begin to lose their Well, we begin to lose our religion. Babies let you know something natural is going, they're hungry. I'm older now. When I get hungry, I begin to lose my religion. I need to eat at certain times. like to eat at certain times. Eat too many times sometimes. But babies will protest loudly if the meal is even a few minutes delayed. And those of you that have had children, had infants, and so forth. You know this. 
They don't chemically analyze the milk. Let me see what's in this. Is this good for me? How many babies you see do that? None. They don't check the label. They don't look at it for purity. They instinctively trust and bond with their mother. Now on the opposite side, we do analyze. We do scrutinize. We do play word games. Sometimes we belittle. Sometimes we obscure the word of God to suit our motives. Babies, not so much. Infants are trusting. They have a bond with their mother and somewhat of a bond with the father. Oh, we care about the blanket cover, don't we? You have a baby boy, the blanket cover has to be blue or some shade of blue. Baby girl has to be pink or some shade of pink. Does the baby care? Shake your head like this. No, baby doesn't care. We care. Baby doesn't care. Crib. Is the crib just right? How about car seats? How many different kind of car seats are there today? All right? I mean, we have car seats now where children in the sixth grade still have to ride in the back seat looking out of the rear window. Sawyer's not here this morning, but could you see Sawyer doing that? Or Wyatt? We care. They don't. How in the world did we ever survive? I never had a car seat, I'm sure. Bouncing around all over the country roads. Rode in the back of pickups. Stood up and rode in the back of pickups. Oh, do you know how many people are killed? Not very many. Not very many. No, I don't know. But I'm chasing rabbits now. Let's come back to this. We don't care about the curtain. Uh, they don't care about the curtains. We, hey, the nursery has to look a certain way. Oh, Stephanie was born, we went through all of this and so forth. Then Megan came along. Not so much. As, as you, you have the first one and you go, you're OCD. We're going to talk about OCD here in a minute. You get OCD. Oh, we got to do this. This has got to be so. We got to buy this. We got to do. You do all these things. Does a baby care? No. Got cute outfits. They don't scream because they're offended by the color of their PJs or their blankets or the curtains or their outfits. They scream because they're hungry. They want milk. And they come into the world with this obsessive compulsive disorder. And then we carry it the rest of our lives. I developed the habit of being hungry when I was younger and I still get hungry. And you do too. They're OCD at birth. Next slide. 
Everything about a baby is wonderful. Everything about a baby is genteel. Everything about a baby is they're soft, they're cuddly, they're so wonderful, they're, except their voice. Now, when they're cooing, oh, it's wonderful, it's mild. But when they're hungry, or when they're tired, or when they're hurting, there's perhaps nothing in the world that can grate your eardrums like a crying baby. You still love them, but that cry can be horrific. It's completely alien to everything else that we love about children. They scream, and when they scream because they're hungry, you do not forget to feed them. Or maybe you did forget, but now you're, you are reminded. You see, we scream about many other things, but rarely about the interruption to our desire for the Word of God. And we will not grow as a Christian unless the Word of God nurtures us. It will not happen. You, it, it doesn't matter. You can read all the wonderful books, and I love to read. But this is what sustains me. There's no chemical, no mechanical, no electrical analysis that is needed. We're to be OCD about the Word of God. Now, we could, a number of other things. We're generally not OCD about our faith. Sometimes we're not that way about church attendance either. Certainly about the Word of God. And when we start to look at all of these things, this impacts our relationship with the Lord. Why are we not this way? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Peter says it's about accepting and desiring the Word of God so that it can do its work. Paul said, I, got, I have to give you milk because you can't digest the deep things of God. Peter will write about that in 2 Peter chapter 3. You don't have the mental capacity. And so when the deep things of God are preached or they're read and so forth, there are times that we get angry about them. Well, I never heard it that way before. Why is that? Because we have not ingested the word that teaches us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Peter's one of us. Remember that. And he's here to help us. On the inspiration of the, of the Spirit of God, he's laying out these particular elements found in the Word of God so that we can grant them and so that we can gray by the grace of, so that we can grow rather by the grace of God. Next slide, if you would. Now look at verse 3. He says, newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. At some point in our life, the Spirit of God moved in our souls to bring us to repentance. To humble us. To remove those five things that are there in verse 1. And to save us. And that desire from being born again 
should play out in the tasting of who the Lord Jesus is and to see that he is gracious. And without the Spirit of God, there's no taste for the Word of God. So people that say they're born again, you must have the Spirit of God in order to be born again. And people that say that they are born again but have no fruit or display no desire or no gifts, in all probability do not have the Spirit of God. And if you don't have the Spirit of God, you have no taste for the Word of God. The world doesn't care about spiritual things. We read at the outset of the message this morning about what was stated in Westminster Abbey. But the world mostly, far and away, doesn't care. Spiritual milk is not high on the world's list of dietary pleasures. But here, Peter says, if you've tasted of the Lord, as the psalmist said back in Psalm 42 and also Psalm 34 that we've read, and you know that he is good, how can you taste Christ and not want more? In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord said, Matthew 5, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's OCD. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We're to be a people who, having been changed by the power of the Spirit of God, have a desire within our soul, a hunger and a thirst for the pure, unadulterated, uncontaminated Word of God. You ever drink yet? Usually, if you, you, you can smell spoiled milk long before you drink it. And if you smell it, if you can't smell it, and you drink it, what you spit out of your mouth is quickly done because you find out that it's impure. When we ingest the truth of the Word of God, it changes us. I'm going to leave you with a few things this morning. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> Verses 2 and 3, the word pure can also be translated sweetness, sweet milk. Okay? Spurgeon said, how beautiful is the Bible. It is a necessary food. Do you feel that way this morning? Do you? Do you grasp that in your mind and your soul? It is a necessary food. The Word of God brings about faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ or the Word of God, Romans 10. The Word of God gives us new spiritual life. We see that in verse 23 of chapter 1. It helps us grow in sanctification. We see that in verses 2 and 3 of 1 Peter chapter 2. It sanctifies us, makes us like Jesus. As a believer, you should want to be like Jesus. Wanting to be like Jesus means that you spend time in the, tr in the Word, in the truth. Sanctify them in the truth, Jesus prayed. Your Word is truth. The Word searches and it convicts, and that's a good thing. It's the grace of God. 
For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit. Of the joints and of the marrow, it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It divides. It penetrates. It convicts. And many people will not read the word of God for this very reason. I like the way I'm living. The word of God liberates. You abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom in Christ. Not freedom in Ernie. Not freedom in filling your blank. Freedom in Christ. Next slide. The word refreshes and renews. The psalmist in 119 verse 25 said, Give me life according to your word. It revives our souls and our hearts. After conviction, we need revival. And it revives who we are. The law of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul, converting the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right. They're always right. Rejoices the heart. Psalm 19. Theologian Louis Burkhoff said this, By inspiration we understand that supernatural influence exerted on the sacred writers by the Holy Spirit, by virtue of which their writings are given divine truthfulness and constitute an infallible and sufficient rule of faith and practice. That's what we mean when we talk about the word being truth. Inspiration means that the Bible is God's book. And it contains all of it. You need to remember this. It contains all of God's word that he desires his people to have. Is this all the knowledge of God? No. Not even fractions. But it contains all of God's word that he desires his people to have. The scriptures are God's word in such a way that, as Joel Beakey wrote, when we read the Bible, we hear the voice of the living God. You know that? When we read the Bible, we hear the voice of the living God. Next slide. I think this is the last one. <clears throat> no, it's not the last one. So let's ask ourselves some questions this morning. You knew it was going to be long when I, when I stood up this morning. If the Bible really is the breathed out words of the living God, then let's ask ourselves some questions. Why do we not bring our Bibles to church or why at times do we leave it there? Sometimes I walk through the pews and I see Bibles that have been left. Now, I know you have Bibles at home. I do. We probably got three dozen Bibles. But you generally bring the Bible that you study with you church and make notes and so forth. So why don't we read it every day? You don't have to spend a great deal of time. And if you don't read the Bible every day, 
<laughs> but you spend a great deal of time on social media, and you're living irrationally. Why don't you read the Bible with your spouse and with your children? How much contempt we must have for the Holy Spirit. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, but see, see ignoring these things is contempt. How much contempt we must have for the Holy Spirit and our own children not to read the Word of God with them. Again, doesn't have to be. We're not preaching a sermon, not giving a dissertation. Why do you buy your children new clothes, but you don't furnish them with Bibles? Do you care for, about the clothing of their bodies, which is a good thing, but not about their souls? Do you disregard the precepts, the promises, and the warnings that are in the Word? Why do we, and I'm, I'm guilty of these things too, why do we treat the Bible so frivolously? And cavalierly. Why don't, why don't we trust it as sufficient and obey it as the authority that it is? You see, the Bible has authority over your life whether you're a believer or not. It has authority over all 8 billion people on this earth whether they believe it or not. Just because you don't believe something doesn't mean that it's not true. Since the Bible is God's Word, to disbelieve or disobey the Bible is to disbelieve or disobey God. And we see this played out time and time again. I think this next one is the last slide. Yes. Romans 1.17, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, I'm living by faith. If we're not in the Word, we're not living by faith. The word produces faith. Luther read this passage when he was preparing his lecture on Romans. He read it as a Catholic. Catholic Augustine monk. Augustinian monk. And it started the Reformation. It changed him. It saved him. And he wrote, when I understood that, the doors of paradise swung open and I went through May we ever pray these words. Blessed Lord, who has caused all of the Holy Scriptures to be written for our learning. We're in the latter part, latter chapters of the book of Ezekiel. Scratching our heads. Why is this in there? Because God put it in there. There's a purpose for it. Grant that we may in such wise hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of thy holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which thou hast given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Not a soul here today listening or watching via the internet or that has ever lived that has been born again was done so without the word of God. When we come to the word of the Lord 
we come to the Lord of the Word. Do you desire the pure milk of the Word? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the Word. Jesus, we thank you because you are the living Word. Forgive us where we are so haphazard with the Word in our life. Sometimes it becomes rote. We'll read a passage and the devil, as he often does, distracts us. We're thinking about our calendar for the day. We think, we think about everything that is temporal rather than eternal. Forgive us. And may we, as Peter writes, may we desire the pure, unadulterated, unfiltered Word of God, which brings us to Jesus Christ and trust Him in our daily walk. In Jesus' name we make this prayer. Amen. And we're going to sing a closing hymn this morning. If the Lord Jesus has spoken to you in any fashion, we'll give you time to respond. This is your responsibility. That's what one of the basic basics of the word responsibility is respond. Respond in kind. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord as Savior, we can't save you, but with an open Bible, we can lead you to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you can leave here this morning with that uh, understanding and promise that God has made in his word. He will forgive you of your sins and save you. As a child of God, the Lord may be leading you into the fellowship of this church. Perhaps you know the Lord as Savior. You need to follow him maybe in believer's baptism. We encourage you to do that or join by statement of faith, a transfer of a letter. We open that to you this morning as a child of God. I put all these, I put a lot of these notes together a couple of weeks ago and then finished it out yesterday and it spoke to my heart time and time again. Preachers will be the first ones to tell you that we, we never think that we spend enough time studying. Never. That we don't give the, the word, the, the, the beauty and the capacity of the word time in our lives to preach it to you. But we love you. And we preach it anyway. What number, Brother Mike? 147. 147. If the Lord's spoken to you, won't you come as we stand and sing? <laughs>